A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, Canada Land is off for the holidays today, but I have something fantastic for you in place of our normal show. IndieWire just called this episode of Commons one of the best podcast episodes of 2019, alongside shows from The Memory Palace, 30 for 30, and the New York Times series, 1619. It is deserved. This episode is from Common's current series, Dynasties, looking at the rich and powerful families that run Canada. This is my favorite episode, so far, of Common's Dynasties, the Sahodas. The Carnegie Community Center is one of the oldest civic buildings in Vancouver and it sits in the heart of the downtown east side. If you've never been to the Carnegie Community Center and you've, you know, you're just at Maine and Hastings and you see a lot of people coming and going, you you might be quite surprised to find out what's inside. My name is Chris Chung and I'm a writer at the Taiyi, which is based in Vancouver and we're an online news magazine. It's a really nice building. So there's a foyer inside and it's got this spiraling staircase and along the wall there's stained glass windows and they've got famous literary figures on the stained glass. So there's John Milton, for example. And if you go up the stairs to the second level, that's where the cafeteria is. The downtown east side is home to many of the most marginalized people in Vancouver. And the services offered at Carnegie are essential for many of them including the cafeteria, which offers low-cost, healthy meals. You do have to pay, like it's not free, but then a lot of the people in the community like that because it's it's a sense of dignity that they're like, hey, like we're not getting a handout here, that we are a paying customer. And because of the donations that they receive, they are able to keep the price low, but the food is amazing. Now, most of the people who eat at the Carnegie Cafeteria are poor, but there's one man who comes in quite often, who isn't like the rest. There's a video of him online getting a meal at the cafeteria. The man doesn't really stand out. He's older, with more than a little white in his beard. He's wearing a worn-out green windbreaker and a black baseball cap. But as he's paying for his meal, a few people start to gather around him. Yeah, this is not place to eat for yeah. you. You yeah, can go, you somewhere. go somewhere where you can afford yeah. it. Yeah. 
they start shouting at him, telling him to get out of there, that he doesn't belong there. Yeah, go eat somewhere else. You eat somewhere else. There's no place to eat. His name is Gurdial Sahoda, but everyone calls him Goody. And even though he looks like many downtown Eastside residents, he's not poor. Goody and his two cousins are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. For decades, they've been Vancouver's most notorious slumlords. If you didn't know who they were, you would thought that they actually lived in the neighborhood because they don't dress like people who own properties worth millions of dollars. Even as he's heckled, Goody doesn't say a word. He takes his plate to a table, calmly puts it down, and begins to eat, seemingly without a care in the world. He's not going to look at. He's not going to look. And he's not even embarrassed. No, no shame. They don't know what the meaning shame. No shame. Yeah, that's the life. And the reason that the reason looks so bad. The people have to know what the meaning shame. They don't have a shame. That's why they are here. If you're not from Vancouver, you've probably never heard of the Sahodas. But in the downtown east side, they are notorious and despised. And despite the fact that for years, Vancouver journalists have written story after story after story about their many misdeeds, little is known about who they actually are. What kind of multi-millionaires eat at community kitchens and dress in raggedy clothes? The truth about the Sahodas is far darker and weirder than many people would have imagined. And their story reveals a city that for decades has been willing to let its most vulnerable residents suffer in almost unimaginable ways. Vancouver's in the middle of a housing crisis. But for the city's poor, that crisis has lasted a long, long time. And the Sahoda family sits at the center of it. The Sahodas are slumlords of the worst kind. For decades, they've let their buildings fall apart, leaving their tenants to live in filth and desolation. And the Sahodas, they're not like any other dynasty you've ever heard of. Hell, they're unlike any other family you've ever heard of. They certainly don't act like millionaires, and even to the reporters covering them, the tenants living in their buildings, or the people they work with, they remain an enigma. But underneath that mystery lies a darkness. Lives shattered by their neglect and misdeeds, suffering on a scale that's difficult to comprehend. And for a generation, the city of Vancouver has allowed them to flourish. I'm Archie Mann, and for Canada Land, this is Commons. The Sahodas don't really talk to the press, so over the years, reporters have gotten to know them through other means. We sort of know them through their buildings. That's kind of how reporters in Vancouver know them. And their buildings sometimes tell us stories. I'm Jen St. Dennis. I'm a Vancouver reporter. I'm a currently a freelancer. You can find my work at the TAI and also on CTV online. Though they own a lot of property, the Sahodas are best known for their SRO hotels. SRO is a jargony housing term that stands for single resident occupancy. So there's like these small rooms, and then there's usually shared bathrooms and shared showers and, and bathtubs. So not really the kind of accommodation that most people would expect when you talk about a hotel. Some people stay just for the night, but for many people, this is where they live. SROs are basically kind of the last step, maybe before before people fall into homelessness. They they're kind of the last form of housing that people can afford when they are getting the welfare uh, shelter rates. A lot of SRO hotels in the downtown east side have a pretty bad reputation. But two of them, both owned by the Sahodas, have become especially notorious. The Balmoral and Regent Hotels. They sit across the street from one another. They're actually quite beautiful buildings, despite the fact that they're in absolute disrepair and shambles and are covered in grime. Inside, they're anything but beautiful. Jack Gates moved into the Region Hotel in 2014. Here he is talking to the Vancouver Sun. I've been here three years. Um, I've got rats and mice in my room. The walls need painting, uh, the floors uh, splitting. My door's been kicked in three or four times. Taps in, in the bathrooms. People go in, take the taps off so you can't turn the hot water on. 
They take the uh, faucets off, they twist them off, take them wherever. They take the showers off, shower heads off, get rid of them. Waking up to uh, bathrooms that are full of feces and uh, hallways smelling like feces, it's, it's really bad. We'll hear more about Jack later in the show. It's hard to describe just how appalling some of the living conditions people were forced into. Black mold covered everything, roofs leaked, and hot water was only an occasional luxury. Rooms would have no heat for months, even in the winter. Elevators would break down and not get repaired, stranding disabled and elderly residents on the upper floors. There was like a safety concern as well. People often were assaulted in these two particular SROs. There was a lot of drug dealing going on. You go in and it's just also really, really chaotic because it, it is kind of like the housing of last resort. There wasn't really any rules being enforced. I think people would actually pay to kind of live in the hallways even. And then there's the pests. Cockroaches and bedbugs are just a fact of life, but the rats? The rats are like nothing you've ever heard before. Here's Bill, who lived on the sixth floor of the region, talking to housing activist Wendy Peterson. That's, I've, I've been killing rats for, for, the last, for the last five months. In the last five months, I probably got about 80. In one month alone, I got about 50 in, in, uh, from, the, from, the, from, I would say, the second week of September to the second week of October in that, in that time. So have you ever been bitten by a rat? I have, yeah. I've been bitten twice. What did that do to your feet? Are you? It was well, your feet. One, one, one was my toe and one was my thumb. So it was just like a quick nip. It's a little bit scary, and I just at first, at first it was kind of kind of a joke thing, see how many I can kill. But after a while, I just got it's no joke anymore because uh, you know people's lives are at stake here. And then there are the other threats to life, namely fire. The Balmoral and the Regent are fire traps. One night in 2016, a fire broke out in the Regent. So what do you think happened? I saw some girl come out of there running out. I didn't see her face. I just huh. saw the back of her, and then 30 seconds later, I saw smoke coming out of the top of the door. I was in the hallway working on my bike, putting new pedals on my bicycle. And uh, I smell smoke. I looked, and I see smoke coming out through the door, so I knocked on the door. See, is there anybody in there? No answer. Knocked again. No answer. So I felt the door to see if it was hot, it was warm. I opened the door, I saw flames. I shut the door, ran to the fire extinguisher, smashed the glass, grabbed the fire extinguisher, chemical, checked the door to see if it was too hot, it wasn't, opened the door, blasted the flames, shut the door, went inside, got my cats out. Jack Gates was upstairs in his room when the fire broke out. I didn't see the fire, but I, I, I thought I've never been in smoke this thick before, and I thought I was going to die because I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. Jack Gates heard someone yelling near the fire escape and made it out. No one died that day, but a lot of that came down to luck. The hotels are also hard hit by Vancouver's ongoing opiate crisis. Overdoses are common, and the handful of people who work in the buildings often don't have the numbers or resources to give people the care that they need. Wendy Peterson talked to one desk clerk who's working alone at night at the Regent. What's your name again? James. How many, you, I see you got an naloxone kit, that's good. How many um, overdoses have you seen in this building? Uh, since I've been working my shifts, I've uh, dealt with 12 overdoses. Yourself? Three Christmas Eve. All at once. The Regent and Balmoral were dangerous places to live. But these hotels weren't always like this. In fact, when they were built, they were havens for the rich. So how did things get this bad? To understand that, you have to understand the history of Vancouver's downtown east side. early 1900s, Vancouver was just starting to come into its own. And what we now call the downtown east side was actually the city center. And in 1912, the Balmoral Hotel opened its doors. The Regent was built a year later. Here's Chris Chung again. If you look at both of these buildings, they're actually quite fancy. There's a lot of detailing on, on the facade. So they were very carefully built and they were built by people who knew what they were doing. This was definitely for people with money to spend, and it, it's more of a, a high-class place. 
A brochure for the Regent describes its luxurious amenities. 160 rooms, all light and airy, 75 with private bath, hot and cold water, local and long distance telephone in every room. In connection with the hotel, there's an up-to-date cafe, and the department is in the hands of a competent steward. All foods compromise the choices that the management can procure. The chefs are masters of their art, and the waiters are competent and painstaking. Both the Regent and the Balmoral quickly became iconic landmarks in the downtown of a booming city. But the downtown east side was changing. In 1929, City Hall moved to another part of town, and the Great Depression hit, bringing with it many unemployed men who clustered into the area for cheap accommodations. This was a place where they felt accepted, and this was almost 100 years ago, and you kind of see that similarity today of people going to the downtown east side. It was one of the few places that they would feel welcome. And then later on in the century, we had a lot of psychiatric hospitals shut down, and so again, we had that population coming to this neighborhood because it was where they would be able to find a place to stay. By the 1980s, the Balmoral and the Regent were some of the many SRO hotels that catered to poor people in the area. That decade, the neighborhood was hit with a triple whammy of disinvestment from the government, a drug epidemic, and mass evictions during Expo 86 that made hundreds homeless. The official slogan of Expo 86 is invite the world, but some residents of Vancouver's nearby Skid Road feel they're being invited to leave. It was around then that the Sahodas arrived on the scene. The patriarch Ranjit Sahoda started buying up properties in the 1970s. The first was the Regal Hotel, an SRO hotel that became notorious for its rundown conditions and as a hub for crime and exploitation. They used the profits to buy more SRO hotels on the downtown east side, the Astoria, the Cobalt, and the Regent and Balmoral. It wasn't long until the Sahodas were making the news. In 1987, the Sahodas were caught paying Afghan refugees 32 cents an hour to work the bar at the Astoria. They were working an average of 72 hours a week and none of them had legal permits. And the Sahodas, well, they were fined only $2,500. The Balmoral's pub was suspended in 1992 because management allowed known drug dealers inside. The same thing happened again two years later. Ranjit Sahoda died in 1999, leaving his property empire to his two children and his nephew, who run it to this day. And as property prices skyrocketed in Vancouver, SRO hotels around the city closed down, but the Sahodas, they hung on. But life in the hotels just got worse. Bylaw violations and fines stacked up. We're talking about hundreds of violations. News stories were written about the slum-like conditions constantly. But by the 2000s, the city had done almost nothing to help the situation. The city was always very concerned that if they came down really, really hard and really heavy on these landlords, the Sahodas, the buildings would close. And then they would have this problem of having, you know, two or 300 people potentially homeless. Assaults and murder were commonplace. A tenant was beaten to death in her room. A Coke dealer was shot in the face in the parking lot. In 2007, there were 1,200 calls to emergency services just for the five Sahoda SRO hotels. The Sahodas used the money from the hotels to buy property all around Metro Vancouver. And even those buildings deteriorated. 2007, a balcony collapses in one of their apartment buildings, injuring two people. That same year, 81 people were kicked out of another Sahoda building after the city deemed it too dangerous to live in. Many of them ended up in shelters or on the street. The Sahodas were fined an unprecedented $115,000 for not doing repairs to another building outside of Vancouver. And in 2011, one of their homes was seized by the government because it had been a grow-up for two decades. But no matter how many tickets or fines they were issued, and no matter how much negative coverage they got in the press, nothing seemed to change. So who the hell are these people? Paul, Posh, and Goody Sahoda are all in their 80s. And despite their constant presence in the news, they remain a mystery to many. I've spent so much time wondering like, what their motivations are for hanging on to these buildings and keeping them in such disrepair. They're so elderly now. 
that I always wonder, like, why would you put yourself through this? Why would so much bad press about you? Just why would you not sell these buildings and just be done with it before it gets to this point? Few people have spent more time delving into this incredibly strange dynasty than Sam Dharmapala. Sam's an immigrant from Sri Lanka, and for almost a decade, he worked as a desk clerk at the Balmoral Hotel. My life, I've been actually 27 countries. I've been. I was, when I was in Europe, I traveled a lot. I have a lot of friends, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and all around the world. I never ever see, meet a family like Sahata's life, Sahata. When Sam was hired in 2007, he says he was paid $5 an hour, far less than the minimum wage at the time. And for the next nine years, he got to know all three of the Sahodas well. First, there's Paul. Paul is a wispy man with glasses. He looks quite frail and speaks in a slightly high-pitched mumble. Paul handles the financial side of things. Uh, if you talk to him, he's very charming. Seems like a very good person. But if you're coming to the about money, yeah, he's the bad person anyway, you see. So the, yeah, so he don't want to talk about money. Then there's Paul's sister Prakash, who rarely ventures out of the Sahoda family home in the ritzy Vancouver neighborhood of Shaughnessy. And finally, there's Goody. He's the man you heard being heckled at the top of the show. That video was taken by Sam, by the way. If Paul's the brains, Goody's the brawn. He's the other one doing all like a top work, like a thug work, dealing with the drug dealers, dealing with the bad guys and also maintenance situations. Yeah, he's he's the ground level man. That's the main difference between Goody and Paul. Paul, he talking to people kind of civilized way, but Goody, no, no. The first thing to know about the Sahodas is that they're cheap. Looking at how they live, you could never tell that they own hundreds of millions of dollars in property. They wear the same clothes almost every day. Paul has a bunch of cars, but they're all clunkers, the kind you buy for a few hundred dollars. And except for the buildings, they have none of the trappings of wealth. Even their home in Shaughnessy is famously filthy. Here's Jen St. Dennis quoting a column written by Alan Carr in the Vancouver Courier. They own a $4.5 million house there, and this is how he described the home. I returned to Angus Drive once again Tuesday morning. Amongst the neighboring fastidious facades, I found trash in boxes and bags lining the front stairs. Lawns were unkept and littered with trash. Chest-high weeds grew in the backyard, camouflaging more junk. A rotting back fence was made up in part of a peeling wooden door. And, well, you get the idea. Sam sometimes went to that house, and he says the Sahodas are just straight-up hoarders. Everything they're collecting, every, everything, they never throw anything from the house. All computers, all radios, gramophones, you know, like a 70 years old gramophone, like everything, whatever, there's a lot of wire in the, in the living room. It's very horrible. Sorry to say, it smells like it. Every time when I went inside the house, I lost my appetite. Sam would always ask Paul why they lived the way that they did. I always ask him that question because I ask you, why, Paul, why are you not wearing, why you don't have a good car, why you don't wear in good clothes? So sometimes I'm joking, if, if I'm with you, people think I'm the boss, not you. <laughs> and one day, Paul had an answer for him. He's saying, when we live in the white country, sympathy is very important. What Sam's saying is that at least when it comes to how the Sahodas dress, it's a strategy. They're deliberately trying to get sympathy. Take, for example, the clothes Paul wears to court. When he going to court, he have a special coat and tie. It's a very dirty with the bird sheet on the shirt. I, he always wear in that coat. I ask Paul, you're going to court. You need to wear something good. Can I give you one tie? No, 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 no. After they see me this, judge give me sympathy. <laughs> sympathy. And though all three of them live together and seem to share in this strange way of life, they don't exactly get along. They hate each other. <laughs> they fight in public. Sometimes I had to involve fight between Goody and Paul. They fight in the public. They, they call in each other names. What does seem to unite them, according to Sam, is a lack of respect for the law. 
When city inspectors would post repair orders for the building, the Sahodas would often just ignore them. Paul would derisively call the notices mushrooms. Sam didn't understand what he meant. Hey, Paul, what do they mean in mushroom? Then he asked me, hey, you don't know what the meaning mushroom? I say, I know mushroom. Yeah, we're making curry. Uh, other type of mushroom. Yeah, we're getting high. So, And then Paul explained it to him. The city orders, they're like mushrooms. They just sprout out of the ground every night. Uh, yeah, man. Mushroom early morning coming now up, daylight going down. This city order everything like a mushroom. Instead of doing repairs, they realized it was often cheaper to just fight it out in court instead. Goodie always say, after I get the red notice from the city, I say, Paul, Goody, we have to fix. They say, no, man. They always thinking paying lawyer or paying fine cheaper than fixing. Even when they did have to make some kind of repair, they'd almost never hire a professional. They went to the tenants, paying them as little as they could. When the elevators were broken, they tried to get people in the building to fix it. And if a desk clerk called an actual elevator repair person, Sam says that the Sahodas would fine them $200. If they needed materials to do repairs, Sam claims that Goody would just steal them. One time, Goody took him along for the ride. They drove to a nearby part of town that had some tile stores in the area. One time he took me to main and terminal and a lot of the tile places there because they put the, all the tiles outside, right? There's a big business there. So he asked me to let's go. I went with him. They asked me to load tiles from the one stores front outside. Goody wanted Sam to help him steal tiles and load them into his car. I said, how are you? <laughs> what do you ask me to do? We are getting trouble, Goody. Yeah, no, man. They are not here. Or take the incident with the bike racks. One day, Paul Sahoda told Sam that he wanted to get rid of all the bikes that had been cluttering up the hallways. So Sam told him that people needed somewhere to put their bikes, so why don't we install some racks outside of the hotels? I went to City Hall. I got the permissions from the both hotel uh, putting the bike rack. Now I asked, hey, Paul, I need buy two bite tracks. Oh, don't worry, I'm going to bring you bite tracks. So then I keep asking, he never be me bike track. So then one time he asked me, okay, come with me. He drive me all the way to Stanley Park. Sam was understandably confused. What exactly were they doing in Stanley Park? <laughs> so <laughs> what? <laughs> Where are you going? No, then <laughs> he, he take me to all the way end of the Stanley Park. He start taking out one city by track. <laughs> no, oh my God. I start walking. I'm not part of this, okay? He took the two bike track from the Stanley Park. Instead of just buying some bike racks, Paul Sahoda, who again is a multi-millionaire many times over, decided to just steal them from the city. And there was more. Sam also claims that Goody Sahoda had a penchant for running red lights and for shoplifting. If he goes somewhere like a London Drugs or Shopper Drugs Mart or something, he coming out with the pull of pocket. So a few times I think they catch him. But still, still he doing the same thing, stealing stuff. But Sam says that what he found most disturbing about the family was their indifference to their tenants. Problematic tenants weren't given eviction notices. They were threatened instead. If they want to kick out people, they're not even the, give eviction notice. They just use in baseball bat, kick them out. He says that they simply didn't have empathy for the people who lived in their buildings. I, I never see that kind of human feeling from Sahara. Sam recalls a man named Gary who lived in the Balmoral and had once owned a plumbing company. Gary was a drug user, but Goody would hire him any time they needed some plumbing work done. Sam and Gary would talk sometimes. He told Sam about his wife and his daughter and what his life had been like before drugs. And Sam encouraged him to get treatment for his addiction. You say you have a nice daughter, you have a nice wife, maybe they need you. I can help you. Actually, I send him the detox. Goody started to ask about him. Goody started asking, hey, where, where are the Gary the plumber? So then I, I was so proud myself. I said, Goody, oh yeah, he went to uh, detox. Goody was not pleased. You know what he said? Hey man, 
you you send him to detox now we lose in our plumber <laughs> uh you think after he after he come back he going to work for us sam says that's just how the sahodas operate they prefer people to be down on their luck or to have an addiction because then they could pay them less he really like these people doing drugs because he can use them he can use them because if he, if that person not using drugs he not working for the five bucks per hour right sam says that in his decade at the balmoral he found 13 dead bodies inside the hotel but that kind of thing it just never seemed to bother the sahodas In the coverage of the Sahodas, you almost never actually hear from them because they rarely talk to the press, but their phone number is easily accessible. So I gave them a call and honestly, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Hi there. Is uh, Paul Sahoda there? Hey. Is Paul Sahoda there? Yeah, that's me. Oh, hi, Paul. Uh, my name's uh, Arshi Man. I'm a, a journalist from Canada Land. How are you doing today? We talked to Paul for only a short period of time, and we laid out the list of allegations against him and the rest of his family. Here's what he had to say. In case that was unclear, Paul saying that his lawyer told him not to comment. After that call, we sent both Paul and Goodie Sahoda a list of the allegations by email to give them another chance to respond, but they never got back to us. By the mid 2010s, it seemed like things at the Balmoral and the Regent would never change. But there were people trying to push the Sahodas, trying to push the city, trying to make life better for the tenants. If you were a tenant yourself, it could be quite scary to try to speak out about the buildings. Jack Gates found that out the hard way. You heard from him a little earlier in the show talking about the building conditions and the fire, and like I said, Jack moved into the region in 2014. Here he is talking to the Globe and Mail. My name is Jack Gates. I've lived here for 4 years since uh 2014 and uh, my uh room number is 216. And when Jack moved into the Regent, he was appalled by what he saw. Toilets jammed with feces and needles, dead rats clinging to the underside of his bed, no heat, no hot water. His arthritis got worse, and it wasn't long before he decided he needed to do something. Here's Jen St. Denis again, who's spoken to Jack in the past. He had struggled with addiction issues in the past. He always said that he was really compelled to help the other tenants in the region, which is where he lived. Jack got to work. He started filing complaints, talking to journalists and organizing other tenants. And I remember asking him one time, I was just because he he was, you know, he was fairly organized in advocating for himself and for his other for his other tenants and I was like, "Jack, why do you stay here?" and he said well i'm going to stay here until this building gets fixed up properly and we don't have to live in these kind of conditions so he was just quite firm about what he and other tenants deserved and what and the kind of conditions that they should be living in were certainly not matching the kind of conditions that they were in one of the people jack got to know was wendy peterson a longtime housing advocate and an organizer with the downtown east side sro collaborative here she is talking to the vancouver sun In some of these places 20 25 people might be sharing one or two bathrooms on every floor and those bathrooms don't get cleaned and they're broken people live with no elevators no heat no hot water with garbage with bathrooms that are busted uh rats there's people with rats in their mattresses when they sleep at night they can feel them in their mattress this should not be happening in Canada Wendy and Jack started to document conditions within the hotels and they found an unlikely ally Sam Dharmapala the Balmoral Hotel desk clerk from the day one i i understand this place needs to change but Sam says it wasn't until he met Jack Gates and Wendy Peterson that he could actually see a way to make change in the hotels Sam says that after Jack started to make complaints and talk to the press, Goody Sahoda told him to kick Jack out of the building. Sahoda keep asking me, "Hey, man, you have to take out that guys." I asked, "Who? Who is the guys?" 
He's a troubled guy. He always going to arbitration and file case against us. You have to. I say, okay, only thing I can do, uh, I can give eviction eviction notice. Uh, then he said, no man, you don't know people. You don't know people. Just call somebody, man. You can pay pay then ten dollars. Kick him out. And Jack did appear to get threats. Some of them were from other tenants who were terrified that speaking out would get the building condemned, leaving them all homeless. Here's Jack talking to Wendy in a video from the time. Jack, tell me about what happened on January 23rd. Uh, my downstairs neighbor from 117 came upstairs at around 8 o'clock in the morning and uh, kicked my door in with a shovel in his hand. And um, I was laying on the bed and I saw the, just a flash of the shovel, but he backed out of the room. Jack called the cops. And even though this wasn't the first time he'd been threatened by this man, the cops wouldn't do anything. I told him about the, the uh, mask incident about four months ago, uh, where he had a mask on his face and came upstairs and threatened me then. The cops just told him to move. Uh, I said, uh, no, I mean, I, I mean, this is my place. I am, I'm not moving. After he met Jack and Wendy, Sam decided to join them in speaking out against the building conditions and the Sohotas. He tried to make sure that the threats against Jack stopped. I started talking to all the Sahotas connection. Do not touch this guy. If you guys touch this guy, I, I'm going to speak out against you guys. It wasn't long until Sam was getting threats as well. They tried to scare me. They, they sent uh, some people behind me and kind of drug dealers and gangsters. But working with Sahota, I know that people better than Sahota. One time uh, <laughs> I asked one, hey, how much, how much Sahota pay you? Then he started laughing because Sahota not going to pay you more than $50. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think for the $50 you want to go to jail, right? The intimidation didn't work because, frankly, the Sahotas were just too cheap to make it effective. Sam had always known the living conditions in the hotel were terrible, but after a building collapse in India killed dozens of people, he started to worry that the Balmoral and the Regent were at risk of going down themselves and they could take their hundreds of tenants down with them. It was the basement that concerned him the most. The beams holding up the Balmoral were rotting, and the Sahotas weren't doing the necessary repairs to make sure that the building would stay standing. The three of them, Sam, Jack, and Wendy, the whistleblower, the tenant, and the organizer, started to make noise, a lot of it, and they were joined by a whole host of other tenants and advocates. Called city inspectors and the police, filed complaints, organized protests, and talked to the press again and again. They even filed a class action lawsuit against the Sahodas with Jack as the lead plaintiff, though it was eventually thrown out. Wendy Peterson would kind of, and other activists, uh, including Gene Swanson, who's a city councillor now, they would kind of organize the tenants and they would do things like they would go up to City Hall. Jack Gates brought his, um, his mattress up there one time that had been eaten by mice to kind of show city, the city politicians what was going on. Wendy brought the issue of the rotting beams in the Balmoral to the attention of reporters and city inspectors. I kind of question how the city inspectors could not have noticed these problems before, but when they went in to inspect, they found floors were rotten and there was danger of the bathtubs falling through the floors. What the tenants and organizers wanted was simple. They wanted the city to go into the hotels, fix them, and then leave the bill with the Sahodas. And they did get the city's attention. But it turned out their worst fears were coming true. The city believed that the Balmoral was simply too far gone to repair. The tenants would have to leave. The building was condemned. The tenants were outraged. They staged a sit-in at Vancouver City Hall. So we're in, we're in trouble now, I think because we've made so much noise and we've been in the media and we have these lawsuits 
that the city's now starting to poke around, and of course, now they're talking about shutting down the Balmoral Hotel. And try it. Shame. And the Balmoral tenants cannot become homeless because of the inaction of the governments to make the repairs in this building and force the owners to make the repairs. Tenants don't want to move. They're not moving. No, we're not. Do the repairs and bill, send the bill to the landlord. Yeah! But it was too late. The Sahodas and the city had let the Balmoral fall apart for too long. And in June 2017, the hundreds of tenants of the Balmoral were given 10 days notice that they were being kicked out of their homes. It's moving day here at the Balmoral Hotel. Crews are busy loading everything that belongs to the tenants that were living in the 175 rooms known as single room occupancies or SROs. The good news is that the city and BC Housing were able to find housing for all of the official tenants. But like Wendy told me recently, she's, she's like, I think I estimate there are about 700 to 1,000 people housed in those buildings every night because some of them were housed unofficially. A year later, almost to the day, the Regent Hotel was also closed down. The nightmare scenario had come true. Hundreds of people had been kicked out of their homes. A huge number of SRO units, which housed the most vulnerable people in the city, had been eliminated. And all of this was happening in the middle of the worst housing crisis Vancouver had ever faced. But now, the city of Vancouver faced a different question. What to do about these hotels? And almost immediately, a radical solution was proposed, one that activists had been pushing for years, but the city had never even contemplated expropriation. They started raising the specter of expropriation, which the city has never done before. I mean, it was like a big deal for them to talk about that. They expropriate to build things like roads and other infrastructure, but they've never they've never expropriated for what they call blight, like urban blight. And that's the category that the region in Balmoral fell under. The city was proposing to forcibly take the hotels away from the Sahodas. They would still have to pay the Sahodas for the buildings, so they assessed the value of the land and how much it would cost to repair the buildings, and they came up with what they thought was a fair price. One dollar for each of them. The Balmoral and Regent had once been playgrounds for the rich in a city on the rise. Then they became the housing of last resort for people that the city of Vancouver valued the least. Drug users, indigenous people, disabled people, the elderly. Despite landlords that took advantage of them every day, these people had built a community for themselves, and they had fought back. But in return, they were forced out of their homes. But still, they wanted justice done. And to many people, one small part of that justice would be to take these buildings out of the hands of the Sahodas. The question of whether to expropriate the buildings came down to a city council vote earlier this November. Jen St. Dennis was there in City Hall that day. It was really moving. It felt like sort of coming to the end of something. Like for decades, reporters in Vancouver have been writing and writing and writing about this and not seeing any change. Wendy Peterson spoke. So did Jack Gates and so many other tenants and advocates. And all of them had the same message. For decades and decades, the city had let these buildings rot under the Sahodas. The time had finally come to do something about it. My name is Erica Grant. I am in absolute favor of expropriation. I come from the Nishka Nation. Many of our people have died in those buildings. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to... Doing great. i not to be so emotional here. Doing great. I have lost a lot of family in those two very buildings. I think... Every First Nations person on the block has lost someone in that building, whether it's friends, family. That was one of the themes that was underlying some of the comments, was that people have died in the Regent and Balmoral. People, people have lost their lives. Um, people have been murdered. There was a young woman who fell from a window a few years ago, that, and that case was never resolved. So that people have very strong feelings and memories and a lot of trauma has happened at these buildings. I am an SRO tenant. When I first moved down to Vancouver Eastside, I was in desperate need of housing and it was the only affordable living. Tenants I know that have lived in the region 
Uh, two months before it was condemned, the living conditions were unbearable, impossible. You get sick just drinking the water if the water was working. And so some of the speakers were actually really strongly advocating for these buildings to just be torn down entirely because just too many bad things have happened there. The indigenous men and women, two-spirit folks, non-binary folks that are living in these buildings have all brought forward the same thing repeatedly. There is so much trauma. There is so much violence. There is so much pain. You can't, first of all, just renovate these buildings and put people back into them. That is not a good idea. That is not what the community wants. And the outcome of that will be disastrous to people's mental health. Sam Dharmapala was the second last to speak. Last 12 years I waited until get this day. If you remember in, in India, in Calcutta, 100 years old building collapsed. After this happened, we decide, our, our, work, our workers decide we need to speak out. So I am the whistleblower while Sahota called me rat. People who live in downtown east side, people who work in downtown east side, we don't have a, that much powerful voice there, especially immigrant workers like me. Fortunately, we got one white lady, her name Wendy Peterson, who never give up. Yes, I saved the Balmoral before collapse with 150 tenants. If I am not speak out, it's still Balmoral going to stay there. Two things in the world never fix. You cannot fix in the world. Two, one is my Xbox, second Balmoral and region. Other SRO owners showed up to the meeting proposing that they be allowed to buy the buildings instead. And the Sahota's lawyer argued that the $1 price simply didn't reflect market value. Both Paul and Goody Sahota were on the speakers list. But at the end of the day, they didn't show up. One more time for Pal Sahota, director of the Sahota's Association. Okay, so I'm seeing no response for Pal Sahota. Is uh, Goody Sahota here from the Sahota Association? I'm seeing a shaking of the head from our security team, so I'm assuming Goody Sahota is not here. After hours of heart-wrenching appeals, the vote finally came up. Councillor Jean Swanson, who had long fought for better SRO conditions as an activist, was the one to move the motion. She was in tears. I'm getting emotional too. I moved the recommendations. We desperately need housing. We have over 2,000 homeless people. We desperately need to stop the loss of the SROs. We had such eloquent speakers. At least three of our speakers have literally risked their lives for this moment. Jack and Sam and Wendy. Expropriation was put to a vote and it passed unanimously. The Balmoral and the Regent would be taken away from the Sahodas. Sam thinks that $1 is exactly what the Sahodas were owed. I feel better because that's the way actually, because uh, my view, last 30 years, downtown Eastside people already paid more than enough. Finally, city doing the right thing. That's what I believe. But the expropriations of the Balmoral and the region doesn't mean the story is over. Far from it. The Sahodas will surely fight city council in the courts. Many former tenants worry that the buildings will be given to another slumlord or to third-party managers who will continue to neglect them. And the Sahodas still own dozens of properties that are in shambles, including three SRO hotels, the Regal, the Cobalt, and the Astoria. The expropriations might have been a breakthrough, but it's unlikely Vancouver will ever make that kind of move again. They don't have any plans to do this to any other, with any other building. There's no other building that they had their eye on for expropriation. This is, they, they want to emphasize that, that this is a truly like unique kind of set of circumstances. And here's another sad truth about the Sahodas. They may be the worst kind of slumlords, 
but they'd let almost anyone live in their buildings. That's kind of the difficult thing about understanding the Sahodas, is that, yes, they keep their buildings in, in terrible disrepair, and yet at the same time, they do house people who would not be able to find housing anywhere else. Rents are going up and the number of SRO units in the city are going down. Vancouver's poor and marginalized increasingly have nowhere to go. Sam Dharmapala says that if you want to understand how people abuse the system and get away with it, you should just study the Sahodas. In Canada, they, they, they need to study about Sahota and how they run this property, and then they can learn many things about the how systems not functioning. The Sahotas might be the worst offenders, but the city of Vancouver has let them flourish for the last 40 years. That's the one thing I think that people always wonder, like, how could you, as a city, one of your biggest roles is to make sure that buildings are safe. So how could you let it get this bad over decades? That's your episode of Commons for the week. This episode relied on reporting done by Jen St. Dennis, Chris Chung from the Taiyi, Mike Hager, Wendy Stook, and Stephanie Chambers from the Globe and Mail, Denise Ryan and John Colburn at the Vancouver Sun, John Woodward at CTV News, Eric Rankin at CBC News, the team at Global News, the Downtown Eastside SRO Collaborative, and many, many others. I want to give special thanks to Nathan Crompton, as well as the good folks at Crackdown, especially Sam Fenn, for their help. I've said it before and I'll say it again, Crackdown is the best podcast in Canada. Go check it out, especially their episode called Room 821, which features many of the same players and deals with a lot of the same issues as this episode. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at Canadaland Commons, that's C-M-N-S. You can also email me, arshi at canadalandshow.com. This episode is produced by myself and Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton, and our music is by Nathan Burley. If you like what we do, please help us make this show. You can support us and get ad-free podcasts by going to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Hey, Jesse, again, if you enjoyed that episode of our show, Commons, you should be subscribed to that show. Go do that. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.